You are listening to the In Perspective Weekly Podcast with Bob Branco and Peter O'Toole. Hi, everybody. Welcome once again to In Perspective. My name is Bob Branco. Glad to be here with everybody today for episode 319, dated Friday, August 4th, 2023. As always, let me introduce Peter Alchil, my good friend and colleague. Peter, how's it going down in Columbia today, in Columbia, Missouri? What's going on? Lots of thunder, lots of lightning, lots of humidity, lots of rain. Uh, we're still six inches behind where we're supposed to be, but we've gotten some rain. So we're all uh, full of puddles. Maybe you'll be making up for it today. Who knows? Uh, who knows? Let me thank those people who make it possible for In Perspective to be aired. We start out with Raymond Gay, our producer. Tom and Lynn from Rosie's Place, they post our shows on one of the bulletin boards. Thank you for that. Our media outlets, thank you for airing us when we do, when you do, I should say. And Jacqueline Sylvia of JS Web Solutions, thank you very, very much for archiving our programs on my website, which is www.brancoevents.com. Click on In Perspective Podcasts when you get to that site and see most of our archive programs and select the one you want to listen to. Merci, Jackie. We are scheduled to have Tony Giles, who is also known as Tony the Traveler. He is not here yet, but I thought what we would do, where we have a lot of people on the call right now, we can share traveling experiences. We can talk about uh, our adventures or and how we've traveled, where we've gone. We can tell our own stories. So... What I would like to do, first of all, Peter, if, unless you have anything that you want to comment on at this time, uh, I can ask for raised hands from our host, Mike. By the way, Mike, thank you for helping us today. We appreciate that as well. And, and while, while we're waiting for raised hands, I have a couple of comments. Uh, Bob, I thought that Tony was in Africa as we speak, so it's 2 in the morning there. Is that He is in Africa where they are approximately – eight or nine hours ahead of us right now. So it's in the middle of the night now in Africa. So I assume they're watching the rains in Africa and singing Africa, that Toto song? I, uh, I, I, You're probably right about that, Peter. I don't know what else to say. You know, that, that's a possibility, yes. He's, a, he's under the stars counting the raindrops or something. Anyway, Tony, we hope you join us, but if not, safe travels. And if you do, Tony, just chime in whenever you want to. We'll, we'll know when you arrive. So let me... Uh, Throw it out to Peter first. Peter, did you have anything to say before we ask for raised hands? Well, I, I just have a couple of things to say. The first thing is I am likely to be traveling in September, and that travel is in the form of a move from Columbia, Missouri, which you all know I'm from, to Coos Bay, Oregon. Now, many of you may not know where Coos Bay, Oregon is, but it's on the southwest coast of Oregon, and it looks like I'm moving. I'm going to be moving there in late September. To, um, this is, uh, maybe news for, for some people to move in with somebody who I've grown to love over the past three years. Karen Muth, who is the president of the Oregon Council of the Blind. I know her. Uh, she's been on the show. Not, she's a, she's been an audience of this show several times. So, um, I, I am in the process of beginning the process of packing and saying goodbye to people and uh, it looks like as i said in late september i'm gonna be moving and you know uh starting a new life well well peter i will be the first to wish you the best of luck you deserve it believe me well and the weather might not be so hot up there no it's not nearly as hot it's uh 
the, the, the average height, the high temperatures of the summer are 75 degrees and the average lows in the winter are like 35. So we're dealing with much more temperate weather, more rain, but, uh, I think I'll take the rain over the 90 degree weather with, you know, 85% humidity, which we get in Missouri as Deanna Noriega, who's on the call knows. So uh, how, that is- how, how far is that from Seattle? Oh, I'm sorry. Seattle's in Washington. That's about probably mm-hmm. 100, 200 miles north of that. I believe it's, I think it's an eight hour drive. Somebody told me. Okay. So it's, you know, it's, it's not, not totally out, out of range. Um, anyway, so I'm going to be learning a new, a new community. You know what that's like learning new routes. Uh, my guide dog is going to be moving in with another guide dog. It's going to be, you know, and, uh, Carrie has, uh, four, four kids and, uh, soon to be five grandkids. So it's going to be a very new life for me. So, um, I, I think that counts as travel, a travel adventure. It does. <laughs> it does, Peter. So, Mike, do we have any raised hands at the moment? You know, we, we do. And as a matter of fact, you speak of Deanna and she was the first one to raise her hand. So, Deanna, go ahead. All right, Deanna. How are you doing this evening? Oh, um, there, there you are. Okay. Uh, um, the, I'm going to have to hold down my space bar because the computer keeps muting me. <laughs> oh, I don't know why. You're fine. You're fine right now. Yeah, I c- as long as I hold the space bar. Um, okay, I lived in Oregon for 20 years, and I met Carrie when she was 16. And she is the mother of my firstborn grandchild, actually. So... <laughs> um I guess I get to be your mother-in-law by extension, <laughs> Peter. At some point, that, that may happen, yes. <laughs> Since um, we have been friends for quite a bit of the time I've lived here in Missouri, when I moved here in 2006, and I'm not quite sure when we connected, but we did. Probably, uh, ra- probably around that time, maybe 2007. Yeah, so anyway... um well, if I've you're the a... mother, if you're the mother of one of Carrie's grandchildren, wouldn't that make you like a daughter-in-law or something like that? To no, Carrie? I oh. was Carrie's mother-in-law in. Oh, Car- I see. Okay, because her first child was my first grandchild, and I didn't appreciate it at all when she had that particular child because I turned forty, and two days later became a grandmother, and I was going. I'm not ready for this. There are a lot of younger grandmothers around. For that, <laughs> well, anyway, so, but he's a lovely young man and I'm very proud of him. And, um, he presented with me with my first great grandchildren, his twin daughters. And, uh, who are all terrific, by the way. The twin yes. daughters are terrific and Talia is fabulous. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a wonderful young he, man. He, yeah, he yes. really is an amazing, amazing guy. Yeah. And, so um that's why I said now I've I've become a a mother-in-law um by extension. <laughs> so anyway, um I was always just a traveler. My father was in the military, so before I was 10, I lived in Michigan, Louisiana, Alabama, Texas, then I went off to California at age 10 and, um, spent all of my, um, the rest of my elementary school and my college years 
in California. Then I joined the Peace Corps and spent two and a half years living in Samoa, building a blind school, literally from the ground up. And while there, I traveled to Tonga in Fiji, New Zealand and Australia on various fundraising trips to get funding for my blind school. Then I returned to the United States, did some more traveling around a bit, moved to Oregon, and that's where my second child was born in Samoa. My oldest child is one of my Samoan students who was 10 when I brought him to the United States because I had a six-week-old baby. So I figured if I was going to do this parent thing, why not do it whole hug? And so I brought home two children and started parenthood in a major way. And then, let's see, I've been to Hawaii several times. I've been to Mexico several times. Of course, I've been to Canada, and I also have traveled extensively throughout the Caribbean. And I went on a 50th, my 50th birthday trip was visiting Finland, Russia, Scotland, England, and I also went, oh, I made a side trip while I was in Finland to Estonia for a day. And, um, so I guess you could say I am a traveling person <laughs> and I'm in the process of thinking about moving to Connecticut. So there Excuse you go. Deanna, I just heard uh, Tony come in. Oh, good. Yep. I was, I just, I was yes. just waiting for a break to let you know that. So, so Tony Giles is here, ladies and gentlemen, also known as Tony the Traveler. First of all, Tony, I want to welcome you to In Perspective. I've heard a lot of things about you and your escapades and and I understand that right now you are calling us from Africa. Is that correct? He may have to get the got it button and Yeah, because he's still muted. And unmute. Oh, I thought that was him speaking. No. No. no that, that that's the that's the host. Okay, well I'm, Tony, gonna, I'm gonna send him an unmute request. All right. We'll just continue discussing our travels, Tony, <laughs> and then when you're ready to speak, just interrupt us, and then we'll take it from there. So, so, so anyway, Deanna, yes. So, so, and all the travels you you've done, and you obviously have traveled uh, almost uh, almost everywhere around the world. What what best what what helped you get through uh, navigating uh, different cultures than you, than you are familiar with? What, what were the uh, the skills that, that puts you in, in good stead, especially as a blind traveler. Be flexible. When things go wrong, don't panic. Keep your head and you can usually work it out. You know, I've almost missed a flight coming back from Washington, D.C. when I was there for a legislative thing. Um, and so I told the cab, you know, here's my hotel. I need to pick up my bag. Then you've got to get me to the airport as fast as you can. And, um, and I give you 20 bucks extra. So he zipped me to my hotel, dashed in, got the bellman to bring our bags, um, threw them in the trunk of the cab. We set out for the airport. I handed him the 20, jumped out of the cab and I said, um, you know, help my, my, uh, friend get her, her dog, and our luggage into the 
into the airport. I'm going to go get help. So I ran through the front doors with my guide dog and yelled, I need assistance. And a very big man walked over to me and said, how can I help you, ma'am? And I said, I'm about to miss my flight and I don't have the money to spend another night in DC. It's too expensive. And he said, um, where's your ticket and your ID? And I handed them to him. He said, take my arm. And he cut the line, took me up to the front, handed my stuff over to the agent. And I said, I have a friend who's coming through the front door with a small German shepherd. She also needs to get on this flight. So he said, I'll go get her. And he came up with my friend and had her ticket, her ID, handed it over. The agent checked us through. And he said, now, how do you want to work this? And I said, well, I'll take your arm. Leedy can follow with her dog. Um, so we didn't go through the the um, check-in point. We went behind counters and through doors. And we came out. And he said, the door's still open. And we boarded the plane. And we sat down. He helped us get our bags up, get our dogs settled. And I said, thank you so much, Marshall. And he said, no problem. And he walked off and she said, was his name Marshall? And I said, uh-uh. When I took his elbow the first time, my hand bumped his gun. That was an air marshal. <laughs> so I said, probably everybody thought we were under arrest. <laughs> so so is, is Tony, uh, Tony, can you hear us? Tony is yeah. unmuted. Hello. Tony, are you there? Oh, here, yes, hello. Hello, Tony, for all the way from Africa, correct? Uh, I mean, I'm actually in uh, uh, Crete, in Greece. In Greece? Yeah. Okay, okay. When we were corresponding, I was under the impression that you were going to be in Africa today, but if you're in Greece, that's fine as well. Yeah. Tony, welcome to In Perspective. We'd love to have you with us. And uh let me ask you first off, Tony, what made you become a traveler the traveler that you've become how did that how did that evolve with you um basically when i was young my dad was in the merchant navy before i was born and he told me about his adventures uh back in the 1950s crossing australia by train from east coast to west coast and it, taking eight days and sailing up the saint lawrence river with icebergs floating down the ship's sides and uh that excited me as a an eight nine year old totally blind um, and interested in the world. Um, and then I went to a boarding school when I was 10 for blind children. And it was there I learned mobility training and um, started to get about around the school and then eventually go to the local shops and started catching buses and eventually going home. Um, my, my home was 400 miles. So that was the first um, idea of travel was just to get home, really. And when I was 16, I got the chance to go to... Um, Boston uh, in the US with my school and it was so different to England I'd been to London a couple of times but going to Boston was totally different different accents, the traffic went in a funny direction and everything was much bigger, I could sense the space in my body so that was the initial start and then I went back to the States a couple of years later with a friend and then I ended up studying in South Carolina for five months in 2000 and yeah, after that just I don't know we're traveling. We've been doing it ever since. So what are you doing in Greece? Um, my, uh, my partner's Greek. Uh, she's also blind. So, um, we've been traveling in Europe for about five weeks. So, um, 
we figure we turn to Crete. You know, it's the largest Greek island. It's also the, also the southernmost. Uh, yeah, so somewhere near and different and hot. So uh, it, my understanding with Crete is that you've been having some weather challenges or fire uh, fires down there. Is that? Uh, not in Crete. Fires in Rhodes. Oh, Rhodes. That's right. Okay. It's Fair not enough. Too far away. Uh, okay. Just here is uh, 104 last Monday in Fahrenheit, 40 degrees. Uh, yeah. So. So how did you meet your 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 uh, your your partner, your girlfriend? My partner. So we we met through the internet about uh, 15 years ago. Uh, Greek. Uh, Journalist wrote an article about me and she found it online. She's into all these mailing lists and stuff and she kind of liked the way I, I write and describe things from a non-sighted perspective and, um, she mainly just wanted to improve her English. Um, so she emailed me and, oh, yeah, nice. Okay. We, we friends. I emailed back and we were co- corresponding for about a year and then, um, I went to Turkey for a month. Oh, I've been to Turkey. I should go to Greece. So. I emailed her and said, I'm coming to Greece to want to meet up. And eventually we did and she started talking and one thing led to another and 15 years on, we're still together on and off. But That's we still live in separate countries. I live in England and she lives in Athens, Greece. And then we travel together on and off. So talk about, um, how do you, I mean, how do you travel? That is, you, you, you travel a lot of different places. How do you prepare to go to a new place? What strategies do you use? I, yeah, so I backpack. I travel pretty roughly. Um, I travel with a small backpack um, with not many clothes. And I do my research online, so um, I'm totally blind now. And I use JAWS screen reading software on my laptop. So by using that, I'm able to access the Internet. Um, so I'll get up Google, and then I say, I want to go to Crete. So I'll type in Crete. Uh, website, and I'll use Wiki Travel or Wiki Voyage or Lonely Planet and um, read about Crete, the history, uh, places to visit, um, museums, different tourist attractions. And then I find out how to, um, uh, how to get from the airport to my accommodation. I like to use public transport where possible, but the cheaper the better because I travel on a budget. Um, so I research, I read accommodation. And when I'm traveling on my own, I'll, I'll stay in some, like a hostel, which is we share a room of four, six, eight, maybe ten strangers. And then when I travel with my girlfriend, we'll get a guest house and a more private room accommodation. And um, yeah, so I, I research all this, and I, I get my mum to help me book flights, and um, sometimes to help me book accommodation. And then yeah, I do all this research. And I, and I put it into Word documents, and off I go. And as a blind traveler, Tony, as a blind traveler, yeah. how are the relationships with the administrators at airports and on airplanes? And you know, oh. I've heard stories over the years about uh, misconceptions, for lack of a better term, what what they don't want you to do. I've heard of people uh, settling cases with airlines about. Uh, Possible discrimination. Have you run across that over the years? Uh, not, not in airports and not in airlines. Um, I uh, book assistance um, with each air company where possible. Um, occasionally, I've had to turn up, and um, I've never been denied uh, boarding a flight. Um, but the only time I get sort of discrimination is when I'm trying to visit places, a museum, sometime, or 
Um, I like climbing, um, climbing bridges, climbing towers. Um, I don't have any fear, any physical fear. I'm not worried about falling over because I do it all the time. I think I said, doing it from a child, I just get used to it and I walk into things and just bounce off them. So yeah, that kind of discrimination. Um, I wanted to climb the Sydney Bridge in Australia because it was the only way I could get an idea of what it looked like from, you know, feeling it, walking over it, sort of, um, coat hanger kind of shape. And, um, they wouldn't let me climb that. It's a health and safety rubbish. So I told them where to go. And also in Italy, a couple of times, um, Italians, I'd not find them very helpful. Um, my girlfriend and I wanted to visit, um, a famous house, Romeo and Juliet house. And uh, the lady basically didn't want me to go in there. They're worried about me climbing steps, which I just think is stupid. <laughs> they go up and down steps all the time. So, uh, yeah, but it's just part of life. But for the most part, no, not really. No. no. So when you say climbing a bridge, what does that mean? Uh, so it was, um, basically, um, wearing a harness. And then climbing up lots of steps and then going up steps, down steps. Um, it's a bridge. It's kind of in the shape of a, a coat hanger. So, um, yeah, that's one way of, of sort of seeing the shape of it, really. Um, I did eventually find a model so I was able to touch it in my hands. But, um, that's the kind of experience I like to do. And I also like climbing towers, which you'll see in old churches. Um, and people are a bit worried because oh, they say it's narrow and there's hundreds of steps and I said, well, just put my hand on the handrail and I'll climb. So, yeah, since people worry more than me. Um, I think they're sort of worried about me falling over and possibly suing them as well, things like that. I think once you explain to people that I've travelled from England all the way to this country by myself, on my own, um, I've got my cane, I'm very independent, I think people relax generally and... Oh, okay, you can do it. But yeah. So, so just for the record, you do not have a, uh, service dog, correct? No, no, guide dog, no, I don't travel with a guide dog. Okay. So. I couldn't travel with a guide dog in the country like travel to. That is true. Uh, that's because that, that's what I was going to ask you. Yeah. Um, so, uh, how, how do you navigate unfamiliar territory? You know, I, I assume you use a cane. Uh, how do you, uh, yeah. how do you navigate yeah. un- unfamiliar territory? Yeah, so um I do my research. I find out the landmarks I want to visit, like the main square or fountain, churches or mosques, museums. And then um I basically go and ask. Um so when I get some accommodation, um I'll ask the staff, right, I wanna to go to say Central Park in New York. I say, so right, um how far is it from Hawaiian State? Can I walk? Or do I need to take a tram or uh, underground subway? Or do I need to take a taxi? And once I get this information, um, then I'll, I'll ask them, right, so I go outside, I go outside the hotel, which way do I turn? Do I turn left? I turn right. How many blocks do I need to walk? And then I keep asking people. And if I'm in a country where I don't see the language or English isn't the first language, I'll get the, the staff in the hotel to write down the name of the place and the street I want to visit. And then I'll walk on the street and I'll ask people. And I'll meet people. I go in the cafe, the restaurants and shops and keep showing them a piece of paper. And eight times out of ten, I meet people on the streets and they'll take me there or they'll take me halfway. And then I'll find someone else who can help me. 
I did it by word of mouth and interacting with people on the streets. But I started traveling before there was internet. This is how I traveled. And then sometimes I had to take taxis. I'd take taxis. So, so uh, my understanding uh, as a U.S. citizen and, and, uh, is that the traffic patterns, uh, in many f- countries are, are more chaotic in other countries than they are here. Now that's maybe a generalization, but, uh. Yeah, no, no, you're correct there. Some of them are chaotic, some of them are non-existent. Once you <laughs> Asia, we forget traffic rules. There's just chaos. Um, I went to Vietnam, there's 5,000 bicycles all moving at once, and the way you try and cross the road is you move with them. And I was told a gap will naturally appear, you just keep walking, don't stop as you're dead. It's, uh, <laughs> so, it's you just you just meet people on the street, because somebody else is always going somewhere. Uh, when I was in Germany, I was walked along the sidewalk, as you call them, and then got to where um, I could hear the traffic and stopped. And a gentleman came up to me in, in the German, asked me if I wanted to cross the road. Let's assume what, what he said I didn't know. He took my arm and we crossed the road. And I said, thank you in German and went, carried on walking. So um, can you, can you say more about the Vietnam experience here with the bicycle? So you, yes. I, I, so how does that work? You, 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 you obviously can't wait for a moment where it's quiet. You have to sort of go, right? I mean, how does yeah, that work? Yeah, it's, it's constantly noisy and constantly busy in Ho, Ho Chi Minh City. So, um, yeah, I, I was walking along the, what streets there were and then um, following people really, just follow the crowd um, and you can hear them all. And then when I got to where I needed to cross the road, um, I could hear bicycles moving and then when I felt people next to me moving and heard their, their, their feet, their shoes, I just followed them. And um, I, I actually luckily met an American guy studying there and he said, follow me, just keep moving, don't stop. Yeah, I, yeah, it, it sort of reminds me in, in a very small way of New York City when I lived there, because basically, once you, once you step in the street, you, you dare not stop. It didn't matter, you know, if you screwed up the light, you just, you just kept walking. That's and, right. And, 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 uh, you know, Manhattan is a walking city. And mm-hmm. so cars may not like it. They may honk their horns at you and you don't want to do this, uh, Without paying attention to what's going on around you, but if you do, if you stop here, much more dangerous than if you just keep keep plowing forward. Um, yeah. Is what I learned in in New York yeah. City. Uh, sort of, and I sort found of, it. I found it traveling around the world. So many people just want to help you. It's it's amazing. Um, there's people ask me, oh, don't you get you know don't you take advantage of you? And it happens occasionally. Of course it does because that's the world we live in. But sure, nine and a half times out of ten, people just want to help me. Want to take me home. I can't believe I'm traveling in the country alone. So I'm very lucky. So what are some of the more unusual things that you've eaten? Unusual? Yeah. Um, um, camel, probably the best meat I've ever eaten. Really? Camel? A bit like, a bit like served on steak. Uh, whale. I've had whale in Iceland. Um, only because it's a traditional thing to do. Sure. Um, I wouldn't eat it in England or New York. Um, and probably the strangest was um, a shark, uh, also in Iceland, but not cooked, and um, put it in the ground for six months, and then uh, eaten raw, and it was disgusting. <laughs> so, so is it in the ground? Is it is it frozen then? Because Iceland is- no, no, not no. It's, it's, I don't think it's frozen, but it's basically put into the ground, so it sort of ferments, I suppose. Uh, it tastes like very bad liver, um, sort of. 
Very, very bad. <laughs> that doesn't sound uh, appetizing. No, so, never cultural. Uh, Tony, what does camel taste like? A camel, camel tastes like sirloin steak to me. Very, very nice. Not too fat. Um, I had it in Australia, and I also had it in Oman. And in Oman, they make it in uh, burgers. You get camel burgers. Hmm. It tastes sort of similar to bird beef, really. Now, what make- country? What country is known for that? Uh, so um, Oman, uh, they eat camels all the time, or camel meat, and also in Australia, um, in the middle of Australia, a place called Alice Springs, you can get camels. So have you have you eaten? Uh, you know, one of the things that you hear about regularly is people eating insects. You know, crickets or grasshoppers or things yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, little what, something called witch, witchy grub in Australia, which a bit like I don't really know what they look like, but it's all. Very tiny insects. I've eaten snails, but they were cooked. Um, I did hear about eating cockroach in Thailand, but I didn't think they'd make much of a snack, cockroach. They were fried. Fried cockroach. Yeah. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it crunchy. Um, well, I've, eaten co- I've eaten crocodile and ostrich, the usual kind of things. Yeah. So uh, I, I, did, did I hear you correctly saying that you've written a book? I've written three books, um, all e-books, and the first one's called Seeing the World My Way. That's about why a blind guy would want to travel and see the world, quote-unquote. Basically about my travelling as a young person, uh, trying to cope with being blind and partially deaf, and a lot of drinking stories. And, and then I wrote a book about travelling around North and South America after I'd stopped drinking, uh, saying I'd seen the world sober. And then my latest book is called Seeing a Slice of Southern Africa My Way, which I published three years ago. It was about a big trip I did in South Africa, Mozambique, Zimbabwe. Um, yeah. So to talk about the difference, if it's not too personal, about traveling, yeah. traveling with alcohol or traveling without alcohol. Um, so when you travel without alcohol, um, it's very different. You wake up in the morning and, uh, you remember where you were last night and uh, your head doesn't hurt and your whole body feels healthier and you're, you're able to remember things and you're able to connect with people in a very different way to when you do and when you are when you're drinking. Um, when I was drinking, it was very entertaining and very fast life pace and very exciting, but ultimately, uh, it wasn't really, uh, didn't bring out the best of me. And uh, I only really realized that once I stopped drinking and I was hanging around people who were drinking when I was traveling and I could hear and smell them and see what they got to. And what, that's what I was like. Wow. Um, so yeah. So um, you must, there, there, must be, there must be some stories of you when you were drinking, like having to get back to your hotel or your hostel or something. How, how did that work? Oh, other people help me back, and sometimes yeah. I can make it back and just fell asleep under trees or in other people's houses or wherever. But most of the time, I didn't drink on my own. I was drinking with other young people. Sure. sure. They, they looked after me usually. <laughs> usually, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so I, so it, I assume you prefer the non-drinking version of of travel than the drinking version. Well, I like both when I when I, when I was that age. But uh, fundamentally, yeah, it's, it's better being sober. It's, it's a different 
Um, it's a different way of life. Um, but I was young. I was 18, 19, 20, and I wasn't interested in the things I'm interested in now. I was interested in having fun and escapism. Now I'm interested in visiting a country for its culture and its people and learning how they live. And how how they many, live. um, how many continents have you been on? All seven. All seven? Even Antarctica? Yeah, yeah. Went to a cruise to Antarctica. That's an amazing place to go if you're blind. Because you feel the space in front of you, the cold air in your lungs and on your skin. Um, I got to touch whale bones washed up on the beach and touched um, icebergs. And um, you get, you're on a big ship. And uh, I went from the bottom of Argentina. It takes two days. And you visit a bunch of small islands by a little... Um, Little rubber motorboat, like eight people. And then I had a guide. I had to pay extra for a guide. They said they didn't want me standing on, standing on the penguins. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Uh, an incredible place. Incredible. And we got to visit scientific station. So, uh, yeah. so what, what are your thoughts? If you have any about, you know, you hear, keep, you keep hearing stories about Antarctica, about the ice sheet melting. Um, does that ring, does, does that ring any bells for you? You know, I'm talking about, right? You know, the whole climate change thing there, there's talk about, you know, the, the glaciers mm. melting and the ice cap melting and so on and so forth. Mm. What, what do you make of that? If anything, it's certainly concerning. I've been in, in the Antarctic and the Arctic. Um, you know, definitely climate change is happening as you can you look all around at, you know, the fires in, in, in Greece and the rains in England and elsewhere. Um, so yeah, obviously the seas will get higher. So we need to try and do something about it. It's not too late. It's up to governments. Well, it's up to everyone. Yeah. Governments need to big, the big changes, but they're reluctant to do it. They're reluctant to spend money. It's typical governments, unfortunately. So, um, thinking about your three books, what are the, what are the general piece of, uh, piece of advice or highlights or something you'd like to share? You know, that, that have sort of cut across the three books, like your themes yeah. or your common practices or something that you would want the, somebody, another blind traveler to know. Yeah. Well, I think mean, for anyone and everyone, um, basically the three of them is it's my mom's idea to write a book. I'll write a book so my friends can see what you go out here. I didn't really want to. Eventually I did. And I suppose the message sort of running through all of them is it's, um, have a go. Just try and whatever your dreams are, whether you're blind, deaf, in a wheelchair, whether you've got physical disability, emotional disability, just just try and whatever your dream is or your goal is, just have a go. And if you don't succeed the first time, keep trying until you do. And if I can travel around the world totally blind, partially deaf, and I'm with a, a kidney problem, then I believe other people can, um, with a bit of help and a bit of planning, Live their own dreams and reach their own their own goals, whatever they may be. And and based on what you've said to us, one of the things that sort of leapt out at me is the whole idea of trusting other people, right? Um, being clear about being clear about what you need, and then help, uh, uh, letting people help you, right? Crossing those yeah. or, or whatever it is, and that's yeah. sort of sort of unusual for us in the states. We're taught to be really independent and that we don't need help. And that doesn't necessarily work, uh, you know, in the traveling you've done, right? You really need yeah. to, you really, you really need to be to count on other people. Yeah. We all need help. The idea that we don't need help is ludicrous. We all need help. Well, it doesn't matter whether we can see or if we can't. 
you know, we want to re- reach something on a shelf that's too high for us. <laughs> we need to ask someone to, to get it down for us. It's, Anyone who goes traveling and lands in a foreign town, a foreign city, a foreign country, they all need help. They don't know where the, the nearest shop's going to be from the airport, so they would need to ask someone. Um, we're all in that boat. It doesn't matter whether we've got perfect sight, hearing, legs, or if we're blind or deaf like me. Um, I've been fortunate, I suppose, because I've been blind all my life. I've had to trust people from a young age. I've had to trust people that's just simply helped me cross the road or just give me the right directions. Um, someone tells me to go left and I should be going right and I'm going to get lost. I'm going to be even more stuck. So, and then at school, um, you know, I couldn't see, see what was really written on a, on a blackboard or a whiteboard. So I had to ask. And I've always asked to ask people. So it's just become natural. And then it's about trust people. So it's about trust, but it's, you trust people on different levels. So just trusting someone to give you good direction or help you across the road or, Help you to on and off a subway, and then there's trust, trusting someone to help you use a cash machine, or to uh, you know not not lose you uh, away from a safe place, and and you learn as you travel, as you go through life, the people you meet who you can trust and who you can't. You, you sense it. Sometimes you get it wrong, but it, um, and also it's like common sense. So, you know, when I'm traveling, I I don't go places uh, quiet. So I tend to stay in sort of the main centres of city, or I'll go with people I talk to in, in the accommodation, oh, they sound good, I think I can trust them. And you ask them questions and you hear their stories. Because, you know, using a cash machine is a big problem outside the UK and the US. So I have to find someone I think I can trust and help me use a cash machine and not run off with my card or my money. Um, sure. And that's never happened, fortunately. And you, are listen, you are listening to In Perspective, and I am Bob Branko, and of course we have Peter Alcho. Our guest is Tony. Tony, is it Giles or Giles? The only reason yeah. I'm asking is because yeah. my screen reader has actually pronounced your name two different ways. It's Giles with a G. It's a G-I-L-E-S, Giles. Okay. Would you like to take some questions from our participants, Tony? Absolutely, yeah. All right. So let me turn the best... Let me turn the festivities over to Mike and ask if there are any hands raised at the moment. All right. Thanks, Bob. There are. And the first one is Janine. Janine, welcome to the program. Thanks. Hey, Tony, how are you? Good, good, thanks. I didn't know your third book came out. Um, Tony was so gracious, and he did our um, Zoom call when we did a traveling call with my friend Brian and Terry, and we had a lovely time with um, Tony. So it's very nice to hear that you're still traveling and that you're still with your partner. So I have a new question for you, because before I asked you about sweets, I think. And so now I'm going to ask, what souvenirs do you take? Do you just take memories, or do you take... Little things. I like to get charms, sterling silver charms from wherever I go and put them on a bracelet. But, um, yeah. So what, what souvenirs do you get when you go to different places? Oh, thanks for the question. That's a good one. Yeah. Um, I tend to collect, um, bridge magnets if I can find ones that are tactile, of, uh, places that particularly interest me, like, um, castles or fortresses. Um, Things like that. Um, I got a few unusual ones. I got a boomerang, which is very tactile. Oh, cool. That's quite neat. And, um, I got one the other day, actually, of the shape of the island of Crete, which I was really happy about. Nice. And it's 
today because it's a lot sort of long but thinner than I imagined. And the other thing I sometimes collect is uh, stones, uh, pebbles off beaches or rocks. Things unusual, again, a tactile. Yeah, so yeah, not much, but they're the kind of things. So how do you display these souvenirs? Cool. Or, Thank or you. do you? Thank you, uh, Janine. Uh, how do you display these souvenirs? Or do you just put them somewhere and fish them out when you want to look at them? Uh, the magnets are on my fridge. Um, yeah, most of the magnets are on my, my fridge, so I can pick them up and touch them when I'm home. Um, some of them are upside down, which is quite amusing. Um, and then the stones are sort of around my bedroom at different places. And um, I take, occasionally travel with one, and I'll pick up a random and take it with me. Yeah. And I got an egg. I got a marble. Well, not marble. But it was like marble egg, which I'll pick up from time to time. And stroke. A bit like kind of therapy thing. Awesome. That's awesome. Uh, next, next person. Abby Taylor. Hello. Hello. Hi, Tony. There's Abby. Hello. Yes. Hi. Um, Tony. Okay. Can you, uh, can y'all hear me? Yes. Yeah. Perfect. Great. Tony, I'm Abby Taylor. I'm in Sheridan, Wyoming here in the USA. And I'm wondering if you could please tell us about your books and where they're available. Sure. Thanks for the question. Yes. So I have three ebooks. So they're electronic only, unfortunately. Um, they're all in English. And the first one's called Seeing the World My Way, which is the first book about, about why a blind eye would want to go and see the world. Uh, it's my adventure as a young 16, 18, 20-year-old. And then uh, doing crazy things. Uh, takes place, a lot of it takes place in America. And then the second part goes to Australia, New Zealand, and eventually Vietnam. And my second book's called Seeing the Americas My Way, which is a trip I did back in 2004. And it mostly starts in South America, goes through Brazil and Argentina, and then goes up through the U.S., um, through the sort of middle states, New Mexico, I think, and Tennessee, and down through Florida, and then through Mexico and Cuba. And then uh, that's the sort of second book that I describe traveling after stop drinking and stuff. And then my last book, which came out uh, just over three years ago, is called Seeing a Slice of Southern Africa, my way. And it's about a trip I did at the end of 2004-05. I spent five months in South Africa, Mozambique, Zimbabwe, um, learning about culture, learning how people lived who don't have runny water, don't have access to everyday food and electricity like we we do. Uh, so that was a big learning curve. Um, and they're all available on the usual ebook websites, Amazon, etc. Uh, and they're just available in ebook and not Audible or any any kind of audio recorded format. No, um, okay. Audible. I looked into Audible, but it, it just costs too much to do. Oh, I I know what you mean. I understand. Yeah. I was just asking. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. And My while pleasure. we're while we're on the subject, uh, do you have a website, Tony? Ah, uh, yes, I do. I have a website. It's called www.tonythetraveler.com. I spell traveler the English way with two L's. Who else? Yeah. dot com. Dot com. And can, can people order those your ebooks on your site? Or, uh, not or my you, site, but but there should be links to the usual. To the usual. To the usual. Uh, yeah, but places. Um, yeah, Amazon dot com in America and um, uh, Barnes and, and possibly yeah. 
Okay. Well, that, that's, that's great. Thank you, Abby. Uh, who's next? Sharon. Sharon. Yes. Sharon. Welcome. Hi. Hello. Tony, hey, thank hi. you so much for this wonderful presentation. I'm thank in, you. um, Massachusetts and you, I'm, mm. I heard you mention the cash machine and it made me think about all the different currencies around the world. And I just wonder how you dealt with that. And if you found any that were really accessible. Okay, that's a great question. Um, uh, in the UK, uh, UK pounds or British pound, uh, notes and coins, or coins are different shape, so they're fairly easy to distinguish. Um, and the notes are different sizes. Uh, the five pound notes are smallest and 10, 20, uh, probably are 50s, but don't see them. And they now have braille on them. Um, this is a new thing. It came in about three years ago. Ah. Oh. Um, uh, four dots. Um, and a five, five pound note has no dots and then a ten pound note has uh, a little cell of four dots. And then, uh, I think a twenty pound note has two of these little. And, and also Can- Canadian money has had braille on it for a long time. Uh, it's it's about twenty, twenty five years. Um, so that's helpful. Um, US dollars are the most difficult. Um, <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Imagine that. It's uh, hard to braille on those pieces of paper. The braille will wear out. Yeah, yeah. This is a different I, conversation. Now, Tony, it, are they are they brailing? Are they brailing the British pounds as you described? Are they brailing them because they're all the same size? Because here in this no. country, we were all taught, blind and sighted people, how to distinguish coins based on their size. Yeah, size of coins. Um, but um, yeah, in uh, in the UK, the notes are different sizes, um, so they're different lengths and slightly different. So the the the, the, the ten note, the ten pound note is slightly bigger than the five, and the twenty note note slightly bigger than the ten. But they're fairly easy to tell the difference. Also, euros euros are different sizes, um, so euro notes are used in most of Europe. What about places like South Africa or Argentina? Or, or uh, yeah, then, then you've got you've got lots of notes, all the same size. Um, but you have to just again, okay, you have to trust people and count your money. And um, yeah, it's just meet uh, people that you know you can trust really, and keep counting your money, sort of know how much you spend. But it does get more difficult, particularly in African countries where you're dealing with lots and lots of notes, hundreds of notes, and also in Asia, uh, Vietnam was yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I changed a ten dollar note in Vietnam at the airport, and I got given a money to decide a brick. A brick. Really? Yeah, yeah. It's just, just lots of paper. Lots of paper. Lots of, lots you, of paper. You could, you could give someone about twenty notes, twenty, and it's it's probably about three dollars. So. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, the dollar is pretty valuable in a place like Vietnam, right? You know, you can yeah. Get, you can get, you can get lots done with the dollar. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for that question, uh, uh, yeah, Sharon. Question. Uh, yeah, thanks, Sharon. Who's, who's next? Area code 207. Somebody Hi, in Maine. Hi, this is Carol in Maine. in Maine. Yes, somebody from up here in the Maine country. Yes, mm. definitely. I, uh, I love your, your, what you're sharing. Thank you so much, Tony. Um, one thing that you said that I really identify with is, is asking people because that's what I do and I don't do the traveling you do, but all me, I'm just as willing to ask someone, could you press the button on that, on the uh, elevator for me and ask a stranger walking by. Absolutely way to do it. 
Um, I have kind of two questions. My first is what kind of back, uh, backpack or, or what, how you do to do hands free when you're out and about. I don't mean you're traveling, uh, when you're, when you're going from one big place to another, but when you're out mm-hmm. on the street, what kind of carrying, you know, so you're hand free. My other question is what is the one thing that you've discovered in your traveling when you're getting ready to go that you never ever, other than the obvious, you know, passport and that stuff, what is the one magical thing that you always want with you when you travel? Uh, thanks for the questions. Um, now the first one is, so I take, um, like I've got my cane in my right hand all the time. So, um, I need my other hand free, so I have a backpack, which I'd say is probably about, about two and a half feet long by maybe a foot wide, uh, and it, I can make it into compartments, and that's what I travel for long distances, and I'll have my laptop in that, and clothes, and have a stick, whatever, whatever country I'm going to, whether it be hot or cold. And then I have a small day bag, um, which my girlfriend calls a banana. It's made like a bum bag or a fanny pack um, kind of thing. Now I'll, I'll carry that across my chest in the day, and I'll have my medication in that. Um, Why does she call it a banana? Because it's kind of shaped of banana. At least some of them are. They're sort of curvy like a banana. And not all of them, but it's just what they call them here. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Keep keep going. Yeah. yeah. And then, um, but yeah, I'll ask the kind of day things in that. Um, stuff like hearing aid batteries, uh, spare bits of my hearing aids. Um, cause hearing aid parts for hearing aids and batteries are very difficult to get outside of Europe and America. So I have to make sure I have spares of them, um, cause they break down in the heat. And then the, the one thing I always, always, uh, want to have on me is a talking book machine or I've got a Victor stream. <laughs> I can listen to books or music. Because if you're sat on a plane for 40 hours, you, you need music and books. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm curious, you said something about your hearing aid batteries and things when you're, when you were in Africa for months, but three or four months. Yeah. How did that work? Did, did you have enough batteries or, you know, did you, how did you plan for that? Yeah. So they're, they're small batteries, about the size of a watch battery. Um, they last three or four weeks, depending how long they're in the ears. But about four, 14 hours a day in my ears. Um, and you turn them off at night. So yeah, it's just a case of having enough of me really, um, taking more than I need. The same with my medication. Because I could probably get my medication in a lot of countries, but some countries are more difficult than others. Um, it's about being prepared. Um, I, I just try to carry a spare cane as well in long countries. Um, not so much in Europe, but certainly in Africa uh, or Asia, I try to take a spare. Because it's just something you can't get in, uh, you know, any, any local shop. And, I've had to use a tree branch occasionally as well, and I've broken a cane. Oh, I did that too once in college when I was drunk. That, <laughs> yeah. That's another story for another time. Um, <laughs> you were raising cane? Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, the story, the truth comes out. Anyway, um, thank you so much. Uh, that's a, that's a, a terrific. Yeah, great questions. Yeah, yeah. Uh, next. thank you, Sharon. Okay. So we're at 10 after the hour, and I think we agreed. Due to the late start, we're going to go to 15 after to give you guys a full hour. We, we have about five minutes left in the program. Yep. Exactly. yep. Oh, okay. So, Carla. All right. Very Carla. interesting. Very interesting presentation. Thank you so much. Uh, the question I have has two parts, really. 
where was the most interesting place you ever traveled to or visited and why was it interesting to you? What made it so interesting? Thanks. Great question. Oh, so many. Um, people always, people ask me, so I've been to 131 countries so far and I'm trying to visit all of them. Um, especially the 195 according to the UN. And I always tell people, New Zealand is my favorite country. I think it's because it reminded me of England a lot. Um, the weather's similar. It's quite cold and it rains a lot in New Zealand. Um, there's lots of nature, mountains. You're never far from the sea, which is my favorite place to be. I love the smell and sound of the sea. And I'm very fortunate to live a five minute walk from a beach in the sea now in England. Um, and I also about New Zealand, I found the people extremely friendly. Um, there's only four million of them. So. That kind of helps. Uh, it's just just a wonderful, wonderful country. Um, but the most amazing place I've ever, ever been to is Antarctica. And that was just sensory overload. It's incredible. The silences, the space, uh, the penguins always talking and uh, pooing everywhere. So it was very smelly <laughs> at times. Uh, and the, the whole nature, yeah. yeah so, so, yeah. What did the penguins sound like? <laughs> it sounded like they're laughing at you. And, and so you heard, you heard a lot of that. You know, is that sort of a common sound that you heard in, in Antarctica? Yeah, different pitches, but basically, yeah. Oh, okay. uh, some, some of them are louder, and others. There's a penguin called chin strap because it's kind of got a white strap under its chin, I guess. So, and they just don't stop talking or whatever it is they're doing. Sounds like politicians to me. Yeah, talking and pooing. So I, I want, before we go, I want to ask you about some, some fundraising you're doing. Can you briefly talk, talk to us about that? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I've been, um, uh, there's a, there's a charity in the northwest of England called Galloway Society for Blind People. And they're a charity. They support, uh, a region of a hundred blind people, vision impaired people. So, um, they asked me to go and hike the Inca trails to Machu Picchu in Peru and raise, uh, couple of thousand pounds for them so i managed to raise that now and then hopefully going in october i'm hoping oh, i'm starting to get my training in so yeah if people want to go on my website they can they should be able to find a link to the charity and then they can donate whatever they want and and, and, that, and that website again is as so my website is tony the traveler dot com with, with, with two l's yep okay yeah well, uh, thank you for doing that fundraising. That sounds really uh, useful stuff, and I wish you well on that trip. We should bring you back and uh, talk about your experiences hiking that 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 trail. Yeah, that'd be fun. We we have one minute. Do we have time for one more caller, Mike? We've got one minute for somebody to make a few comments or ask a question. Yeah, I'm gonna. Yeah, I'll allow that. Um, Pam. Pam, one minute. Yes, and, very uh, quick. A uh, very very easy. I hope question. How, when you're traveling in all these exotic places and eating who knows what food <laughs> and beverage wise, how do you avoid getting sick? Uh, that's a good question. Yeah. Um, don't eat salad, um, uh, peel fruits, um, try to avoid drinking local water, uh, buy bottled water. Um, drinking alcohol is probably the safest way. Uh, <laughs> that's true. pretty, yeah. That kills most things. 
Um, they're the main, they're the main uh, things. Um, taking mosquito spray, using mosquito nets, covering up at night. Um, you can't completely avoid being getting sick, but yeah, they're, they're trying to do the common things really. Gotcha. Thank you very much. Thanks. Thank you, Pam. Tony's website, ladies and gentlemen, www.tonythetraveler, that's traveler with two L's, it's the British spelling, dot com, uh, to learn more and also to purchase his three books. Uh, and good luck with that, Tony. As a, as a nice. fellow author, I, I really appreciate your efforts in trying to write, uh, you know, as a career, as well as being much. a traveler, of course. All right, so thank you very much for your time. and. We'll My let pleasure. you go back. We'll let you go back to sleep now because I guess it's about <laughs> 3 a.m. Tony, where you're at. Something like that. <laughs> and say, appreci- hi to, say hi to your girlfriend for us. Yeah, we will. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks again. We appreciate great, it. Yeah. That was fun. Thanks. Thank you very, very much. Tony Giles, ladies and gentlemen, also known as Tony the Traveler, has been a guest here on In Perspective today. Next week, we're going to talk about rehabilitation facilities and the care given to patients there. It ought to be a very interesting show. Thank you very much, Michael, for being our host for today's program. We appreciate it. Thank you very much, Peter, of course, for being our co-host as always, and uh, also to our participants. I'm Bob Branco. Go safe with God's abundant blessings. Have a nice week, everybody.